everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name is Tim, and this is Joy. And uh, this week, we're going to start the podcast just a little bit different. And um, we've had someone get in touch with us and want us to review the single from their album. Um, it's by a, a chap called James Ethington the Third. So let's listen to the track now, and then Joy and I will come back and give our thoughts on it. So this is a track, um, James Ethington, and it's called Becca. Enjoy. Our memories don't age like we do Anytime I'm feeling low I think of the memories of old And I'm counting crows We dance so slow But I don't want to be alone So don't let me drink myself dry Cause you know Okay, so there was the track. So, uh, so Joy, so what was your thoughts on listening to that track? Well, um, it, it reminded me a lot of the band Train um, mm-hmm. in the sense that it has that kind of, have you ever heard the song play that song, that song that they play? It has like a little guitar riff at the beginning. Then it's a little bit of a drum breakdown at the end. His tone reminded me of Train too. Um, and almost a little bit like also, hey, they're Delilah in the sense that it's kind of a storytelling song. Yeah, I mean, I, I listened to it a few times and the thing that struck me is it's very similar to contemporary country music in so much it tells a story and it has that kind of sound about it. Now, I'll be honest, that kind of sound and that kind of music isn't necessarily my cup of tea, but people seem to really like it. I mean, we have that radio station 94.9 Star Country that plays music similar to that all day and people like it. So I, I don't see any reason why... Uh, James Ethington can't go on to bigger and better things. I mean, I'm looking at his bio. He's from Alamogordo, New Mexico, and he played, started playing guitar six years ago. And he's had some problems with anxiety and depression, and playing music really helps him, which is super cool. Um, he started at 19. He's influenced by Motown and Jackson 5's Temptations, um, Gary Clark Jr. in recent years. And he's trying to inspire people that through entertainment, there's better ways to deal with uh, depression and the like. So uh, good luck to you, James. I mean, uh, I hope you do, you do do well. And I will just give out your Facebook page, which is facebook.com James Ethington, spelled E-T-H-I-N-G-T-O-N and then I-I-I. So it's James Ethington third. So, yeah, check it out. I will say now that you said that, I can hear the Gary Clark kind of influence. Um so that makes sense why that would be an inspiration for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm familiar with the work of Gary Clark, and Gary Clark Jr. is a, is a great guitar player and mm-hmm. singer. So, so yeah, I, I could see why you would you would make that uh, make that connection. connection. But there you go. There was a little uh, little song review for you, and it does come from um, a EP, EP that he has out called Rear Cycle. So I'm sure if you head over to his Facebook page, you'll be able to find the links for that for stream or purchase or and all that kind of good stuff. Fabulous. Okay, so on with the show. So this week is Joy's pick for for the topic, and as as normal, I do not know where she's going to go with our topic. So Joy, over to you. 
Okay, so this is a random topic, and I don't know what made me think of it, um, but it's something we haven't talked about. We're probably going to talk about a little bit more unique songs today, Um, maybe not ones people have heard of, but the topic is um, top albums that were recorded in the strangest places. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Very specific topic. So I was doing something, and I clicked on something, and it was talking about there's a wing song, um that was recorded in a boat um what song was it i think it was called london town london town was apparently recorded in a boat um on watermelon bay in saint john along the virgin islands Mm -hmm. um on a charter boat they said they had to swim and they made a joke about how it they're kind of yacht rock and they're out on a boat that was (laughs) kind of the joke (laughs) um I just thought it was interesting. Like, how do you get all your equipment out on the boat and things like that? So then I started doing some research and found out there's a bunch of places where albums have been recorded, even some strange places where concerts have been done. Um, And upon that, I found about it's called it's 15 albums that were truly um, recorded in weird places. So the first one is and this one's probably familiar, Tim. It's Nine Inch Nails, Mm -hmm. The Downward Spiral, which is like one of their premier albums. Um, he did it in, you know, Sharon Tate's house where she was murdered. Have you heard that before? I, I've not heard that before. I mean, that that would be an odd, well, I can see the vibe that they're going for with that, especially knowing Nine Inch Nails and the kind of music that Nine Inch Nails play. But um, I don't know whether you'd want to record an album there. Because, I mean, I've, I've recorded an, a full-length album with, with Ian and Frequency, and mm-hmm. the nature of recording an album project, I mean, we recorded it quickly. We did it over the course of about a week and then mixed it in a few days. But I mean, with with bigger budgets, you're in the studio for days and days, if not months on end. And the nature of that is, is you may be there overnight. You may be mm-hmm. there coming in at a funny hour and leaving at a funny hour. And I don't know whether you'd want to be in a, in a house that's known as a, as a murder house in the middle of like, like that overnight or something. That'd just be weird. So what they said was obviously people were like, that's a little strange. And that is their main album. I mean, Hurt was on one was on that album. It's probably their main release album. So it's a pretty famous album. Um, he said he wasn't necessarily scared because like I would have said like, great, some something, you know, ghost is going to pop around the corner while I'm sleeping here tonight. But he said he wasn't scared as much as it was sad, peacefully sad. So I just thought that was interesting. And that's uh, Trent Rinzer or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they recorded that entire album in the Sharon Tate murder house, which for those who don't know, just go Google Charles Manson. I'm fairly certain you probably do know. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that hasn't that house been demolished since that? I don't know the answer to. We'll have to look it up afterwards. I think so, because I think they said that people kept like trying to camp out in it and show up and do weird stuff. Yeah, I, I, I heard a podcast about the Charles Manson murders, and I think the house, the original house was demolished and then a new house was built and it wasn't quite on the same plot because they wanted to make sure that whatever the new house was, wasn't equally thought of in the, the, the same way. And I could see that because the weird thing with Charles Manson is he almost has like groupies of a sense mm-hmm. on people who are obsessed with him. And so they probably go try to camp out at the house and do weird things or kids want to go see if they can see a ghost. So I imagine that that would be demolished. Also, probably for Sharon's family, that would be easier. I yeah, I, I, I would imagine so. so oh. I'm sure. I mean, our our, uh, our listeners can go away and research this, but I'm uh, I, I'm sure it has been been demolished. 
Yep, I think so too. Um, so the next one is the Rolling Stones Exile on Main Street, which is another one you're probably, you know, it's one of their quintessential kind of albums. Um, but it was a DIY album, they said that they kind of did it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so Keith Richards and his partner Anita uh were selling they were so words are hard guys they were settling (laughs) into what is known as their estate in the south of france Mm -hmm. that they dubbed the mini versailles um and even though it was like this richie place they did the album out in a mobile unit um that they like pulled into their unfinished basement Hmm. i wonder because the rolling stones were famous for having a mobile recording unit that's um, probably what it is. Yeah, and I think they had they had that long before it was the norm to do remote recording for a band. Because mm-hmm. on in the song Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple, and I think we've covered this on a previous episode, it talks about the Rolling, tro- Rolling Stones truck. And the Rolling Stones truck is the mobile recording unit, which was going to be used to record at the casino. But of course, then the casino got burnt down. Yeah, that's what we were talking about was the casino. All right. And then we kind of hit on the whole Wings um, London town already. That was the next. This one was the coolest one. I don't know, Tim. They, she's a European artist, and maybe you'll have heard of her. Maybe you have not. Um, it's called Katie, and her last name is M-E-L-U-A. Katie Melua. Yeah, I've heard of her. Have you heard of the concert under the sea? No. She did a whole concert <laughs> underwater. <laughs> it's called the gig on the rib rig. So she went up and I watched a whole video on this preparing. It was so cool. So there's a guy who was working. He was the captain of this rig oil rig. It's one of those ones that you have to go mm-hmm. like capsule drop all the way to the bottom of the sea. He was a musician and he kept talking about how good the acoustics were in the little things. He kept saying, I really wish somebody would come perform down here, come perform down here. Well, whoever Katie is, which sounds like you're familiar with her, mm-hmm. um, she was like, that's so cool. Let's run up my alley. Let's do it. And then I watched a whole documentary on it. And she said that um, the day it had started to come, she was like, what did I sign myself up for? Like, how is this like, is the pressure going to uh, affect my vocals? How do we get our instruments down? <laughs> like she said, her braid started going, oh, God. So then they put them in this what she called a very ugly, <laughs> looks like a space suit. Um, and they had to actually drop them from above down to the bottom of the capsule and you they had to experience they had to bring all their equipment on this capsule and like strap it all in and hope nothing happened because they it made zero gravity with how fast they dropped them oh goodness me after they took a helicopter ride out to the drill in the middle of the ocean with all their equipment And so, yeah, it's called the gig on the rig. <laughs> well, I'm, cool I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check that out. I mean, I have a rock and roll story which isn't quite as uh, quite as great as that. I once did a gig with uh, with Barry Browning, who's Lee's dad, and we, and we used to have a, a function band called the Guilty Party. And we did this gig. It was someone's wedding. It was like the Guilty Party was a band that did sort of weddings, functions, corporate events and things like that. So it was on a island in the Thames. And the Thames is a river in London, or the main river in London, in fact. But there's lots of little islands in various places. And I think this person had a property on the Thames on this island. And the only way you could get to it was on a boat. Now, for one, I'm not very good with boats. I get very easily seasick and I don't like boats particularly. But, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon with all your gear and all the band and it's like a sunny day, 
this was a lot of fun and you're putting your guitars and your amps and PA cabinets and all this stuff and you're putting them on this boat and then you're going across the Thames and it wasn't very far to go and you're hanging on to equipment and you're offloading it at a jetty the other side. This, this was a lot of fun, as you would imagine. Anyway, we played this wedding and people seemed to enjoy it and we played through our set and everyone had a great time. And then, of course, it got dark and then it got late and there was no light. So you imagine mm. hauling all that stuff back on a boat where there's like really someone just had a torch and you put all this stuff back on the boat and it wasn't quite as much fun. Yeah, that would have lost us lesser. So was it somebody's wedding that you were playing at? Yeah, it was. We, we used to do a lot of weddings with the Guilty mm. Party. And um, I don't know. I don't know where the booking came from. Barry, who ran Guilty Party, used to run a business that put leaflet racks in hotel lobbies, amongst other places. And, you know, like if you go into a rest stop here in Virginia, they have those leaflet racks, all the all of the coming, coming attractions that's yeah. around here. And then true. And again, if you go into most hotels, they have something similar for a tourist to pick up. Well, he ran an advertising company that put, that put those in. So he had leaflets made up. And as part as it was his business, he used to put the leaflets in the leaflet racks. And we mm. got so much business from that. That's so random, though. Definitely pre-social media. Yeah, I mean, this. when was I playing with Barry? It was late 90s, early 2000s, I suppose. So we was at the cusp of social media <laughs> and the like. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you think, but you think even think now, you know, social media and internet and all that kind of stuff, you still go to a service station or a rest stop and they will have a leaflet rack with come to the so-and-so zoo or world's largest kettle or something like that. Especially if you're like in a touristy area like Gallatsburg or Orlando or um, even like those local like here, like Welcome to Christiansburg, like those little welcome sitters all have those little leaflets. That's true. And in fact, one thing that Hannah and I like to do, and in fact, we've just started doing it again, is that when we're going out on a trip and if we stop somewhere, a rest stop, we'll look through the leaflet rack and find something and then that will be our next trip. And in fact, I have a leaflet in my car right now and it's like a it's like a children's life size dinosaur park. <laughs> is that the one in Roanoke? I, no, I don't think it's Roanoke, I think, because there's, oh. there's one up by Natural Bridge, which is Union soldiers and dinosaurs fighting <laughs> the a weird version of the Civil War. I've been to that one. This one is just a, um, just a dinosaur park. So do we want to talk about how the Union soldiers are still soldiers, but the Confederacy became dinosaurs? <laughs> Yeah, that's, 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 that's the story. And there's a whole story as you go around. And each... Each uh, like corner you turn is what well, would you call it a diorama maybe, <laughs> and then you'd have like a dinosaur with a Union soldier in its mouth, and then like people trying to fire a gun, and then there's there's a whole thing with Ben Franklin has become like some kind of cyborg, and they're using yes. his brain, and it's, it's 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 well worth a visit. I will tell you that. So I feel like that is. A person who's upset the Confederacy law. <laughs> so they wanted to reenact it with dinosaurs. Anyway, okay, that took a change. What is, but yeah, that's what that sounds like to me. It's, well, it's, a very, it's an incredibly random place. I, I, can't remember, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called like Dinosaur World 2 or something. I, I, it's... You told me about it at work after you went because you're like, I don't know if it was amazing or the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> 
maybe both maybe both all right well that's where you could record your next album tim go record it in the same place <laughs> that the dinosaurs and the union soldiers are fighting it out well, that's true. I mean, like I, I recorded the uh, extra track Mary for the frequency swimming with the big fish re-release. And where did, where did I record that? Sitting right here in my <laughs> computer room at home. I, I should have got more creative. I think I, I think I let Ian and um, and uh, little Ian and and um, Hayden, I think I, and P.A. Paul. I let them all down, really, just by sitting here in my house. I should have got somewhere creative to do that. <laughs> There you go. There's your next album. We figured it all out. Okay. This is somebody that neither of us going to know. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's a rapper and he goes by the name Prince Harvey. Prince Harvey. And I can't say this because it is um, a rated PG podcast. The name of the album is P-H-A-T-A-S. And there's another letter on the end of it. So anyway, um, so Prince Harvey, which his, the album's, the reason that's important is it stands for Prince Harvey at the Apple Store Soho. Okay. That's what it spells out. So as you can imagine, so while many people were going in and out of the Apple Store, they find Harvey. <laughs> he pulled off an entire acapella recording using only GarageBand on the store's laptops for four months. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I've been I've been into Apple stores and they have all that equipment laying about. And I do know at the end of the day, they reimage every machine. So it goes back to fresh for the next day. They have a way of doing it. So they don't mind if you meddle about with it. And I've mm-hmm. seen people in there for a long time doing all kinds of stuff with those computers. But I mean, did he email himself the files? Did he plug a USB drive in? No. I mean, I, I mean, as an IT person, I'm, it's not so much the the fact that he's sort of a guerrilla star recording his album. It's more the logistics of getting these files off. Well, the other thing about it was, so here's how it said Like, so he started doing it because his own computer was seized while being left with a friend. And that friend was evicted from the apartment. So they took his laptop too. So that's why he started doing, I know that's terrible. Um, Which I think I probably would have fought that, but who knows what the legalities are. I don't know. But um, so after he started it, the the people who worked there were kind of like, dude, you know, you can't always be in here using all this stuff. Like, but then eventually they figured out what he was doing Mm -hmm. and they let it, they gave it their unofficial blessing. And like people were actually coming in to hear him um ongoing for these four months so i'm wondering if maybe they gave him something to put it on maybe they were helping him you know what i mean because it sounds like at some point that everybody knew what was happening and they just let it be yeah i suppose that's nice i mean i mean that that, that i mean that's a good thing and then the logistics of um, exporting the files becomes a lot easier i, yeah. I like the i like the idea of the uh, the more gorilla style doing it that it's just in a, in a crowded uh, crowded shop and he's just like kind of doing it on the down low well, I think that's how it started. And then once you start coming every day, they somebody's looking over your shoulder, starts wondering, hey, what's that guy back? You know what I mean? And they eventually all became keen on it. Do you know what this reminds me of? I listened to a podcast called Band Geek. And the guy who does Band Geek is a guy called Richie Castellano. I think that's how you say his name. And you may be familiar with him. He did a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody where he played all the parts. I don't know if you've, yeah, you've seen I've that. I've seen that guy, on YouTube. Guy with a beard. Yeah, yeah. So he plays his day job is he plays in Blue Oyster Cult, the classic rock band Blue Oyster Cult. 
Okay. But, in, but in his downtime, he does a podcast, and him and his friends, who he calls the Bang Geeks, do very high quality cover versions of songs for the mostly for their own entertainment. And sometimes they make videos to go with them as well. They did a they did a version of uh, Wilson Phillips's "Hold On," and then one his friend, who's a guy, dressed up like the lady in the video, and it's funny <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. But. Um, he they covered what a fool believes michael mcdonald's what a fool believes and they shot a video in the mcdonald's in long island where they live where they were both dressed up as michael mcdonald him and his friend that had like the, the beards and the suits and the whole thing uh... but they shot the whole thing undercover so it was shot on phones and you can see that they have an earpiece in so they can lip sync along with it but it's completely the people who work in that McDonald's have no idea that this is happening. <laughs> and there's a great scene in it where the other guy who's singing the McDonald part, he's he comes in through the door and he's like singing the song and he's marching along. And it's like all these people are just sitting there eating their their Big Mac and they're completely what are these guys doing? <laughs> they're probably like, what drugs are those guys on? <laughs> but um well you know there's been a few videos where people have um what's the word I'm looking for? They've recorded on like subways, not dressed up as themselves, like wearing fake garments. Have you seen like some of the artists do that where they like hide themselves and they're performing like at the subway tracks? Yeah, I, I've, seen, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen, yeah, I've, I've seen stuff like that where it's, it's undercover. But as I said the, uh, the What a Fool Believes video is very, very funny. I'm going to put it up in the Facebook group because I think it should be shared. I, I saw it, I hadn't seen it for a while and it came up as a suggested video on YouTube the other day and I watched <laughs> it again and I just remembered the genius of that. I mean, that's fantastic. We never got to do me and Tim have a theory that we're going to do an impromptu concert on the roof of our um, work because Tim's been up there and apparently there's soft spots. Though, <laughs> so we have to be really careful. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the roof of the building we work at, uh, the organization we work for, the bit, I think the building is 20, maybe 30 years old, something like that. And you get up on the roof. I had to go up to look at a aerial for our UK uh, listeners, an antenna, uh, which was a repeater for, for, a, for a Sprint, the cell network. So while I was up there, I was just having a look around and you're walking along it and it seems like it's sort of sturdy. And every now and again, you put your foot down and your foot sinks down far further than it should sink. And you're like, <laughs> should I be up here? <laughs> yeah, we had a theory for the Beatles anniversary last year. We were going to do our version of Get Back on the Roof and then Tim regarded that, hey, it's not our best idea. <laughs> <laughs> I went up there subsequently to shoot a training video with a, with a guy I work with because he wanted to go up there because he'd never been on the roof and when we got up there and even he was like yeah this is this is yeah we, we won't step here then <laughs> <laughs> just avoid the soft spots all right exactly. let's see what's next on the list <laughs> oh the next one's an obvious one it's johnny cass at Folsom prison in san quentin i mean that one's pretty knowledge pretty much everybody knows that one yeah, and it was um, later on, um, Metallica recorded the video for Saint Anger in San Quentin mm -hmm. as well. I don't know if you've seen and that video. I have. And ironically, Johnny Cash, in case anybody didn't know this, here's a fact for our bingo card players. He never went to prison himself. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did, we did cover the fact that he may have set off a forest fire, but... <laughs> But didn't didn't you say that there was something about he um, he did some kind of goodwill gesture and he didn't have to go to jail? 
Yeah, he was a celebrity who set, may have set a whole um, forest on fire, but did something to get out of it that we wouldn't have been able to do. Anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think at the time, I think making co- or doing concerts in jails was a thing because I've got recordings of B.B. Mm-hmm. King doing concerts in jails. Yeah. Um, so it says a routine, a bunch of performers have released their own prison suits. Among them are B.B. King mm-hmm. live in Cook County Jail. Little Milton, Tracy Nelson and Marshall Chapman were all listed. And then I'm fairly certain I'm a big fan of Nathaniel Ratcliffe and the Night Sweats. It's a more modern day band. Um, I'm thinking that their song SOB was also done at um, a prison. And I mean, it's a play on the Falls in Prison Blues video. If you watch it, like they're 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 reenacting it away, almost like Blues Brothers, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's actually done in the prison as well. So the next album is it's called Ben Vaughn's Ramblin' 65. I'm not familiar with it. It came out in 1997, but it's supposed to be like a throwback to the old 1950s car or I guess 1960s car culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically he recorded the whole thing in his car was vintage rambler as he calls it okay um the mixing board was in the front seat his eight track reel to reel was in the back um and then he did most of it where he they were literally driving around while he was singing and playing in the car well that's that's interesting i mean is he is he a u.s artist i think so yeah i mean as you know yourself i mean the, the size of most american cars that wouldn't actually be too big a stretch I don't know cars at all. So you might even know more American cars than I do. Well, (laughs) compared to European cars, which are significantly smaller than U.S. cars. That was my point. Oh, yeah. It's one of those old fit, the big kind of long like cars that were popular in the 50s and 60s, the big like kind of Chevy. Yeah, with with big wings on the back and things like that. Yeah, it was one of those. Yeah, Yeah, you could record an album and you could have a family of four living in there quite comfortably at the same time. Yes, and it does look like he's an American singer, songwriter, and musician from New Jersey. There we go. And so it was only done. Um, he plays the um, wow, he plays the guitar, harmonica, drums, bass, and keyboard. Um, anyway, yeah, but he does like kind of a rock, folksy, country kind of sound. So that makes sense why he would do it in a car. Well, there we go. I, I, I don't think I've, I've played guitar in a car, not while driving, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I've never recorded anything in a car. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to get in my Nissan that seats about five and uh, do another, do a version of Love Shack from the car or something. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's as big as a whale. Yeah. That's what Tim was trying to say earlier. <laughs> um, no, apparently the same year the album was released, Reap, the Reap, the guy who did Repo Man, the director of Repo Man, Alex Cox, did an entire 25 minute, they called it a rock entry, like a documentary, but rock music mm-hmm. about the whole album and how it was made. Oh, wow. So anybody's interested in finding out about that, that's out there to watch. Um, so this one was really interesting. And this one goes to what Tim was saying earlier about not ideally, like in theory, it sounds great until you're doing it. And then all the lights go off and you have to try to use stuff by candlelight, as Tim was saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one was the Black Keys, which I'm sure you've heard of the Black Keys. This is their album Rubber Factory from 2004. So they're, um, they did it in an old factory it was um it was paying homage to where they're from. It's a Jim Real Tire factory back from where they're from in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so basically, but the, what they said was it was a good idea in theory, but in practical, it was not ideal in any way. Um, it was on the second story, so they had to carry all their stuff up. Um, obviously, there's no elevator. It's an old factory that doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hot as were. I can't say on our podcast. You couldn't open any, any windows. And because it's super boxy and there was a lot of equipment, the acoustics were absolutely terrible. Yeah, I would I would imagine. I mean, you would have to when you're recording, you want to treat the room so it's acoustically dead because you want to add delay reverb and what have you office. I mean, sometimes you might want to record in a room that's very live because that's the sound you're looking for. But normally, if you're recording an album project, you want the room to be pretty dead for the most part. So you can add stuff later. And if nothing else, having to carry all that stuff up the stairs, goodness me. I mean, you wouldn't be in your best trying to record physically. You'd be out of it. I mean, I'm I'm lucky that most of the places I play here, you load it on the ground. And because especially around here, I mean, you can normally park right by the door to unload and you're in. Certainly when I was playing lots of gigs in England, that wasn't always the case. And we used to play a place in in Bracknell called the Copied Beach Hotel which is a uh, sort of upscale hotel. And then they had in their basement a, a venue called the Beer Keller. And it was like a nightclub restaurant bar type place. And it was popular. And most of the bands I played with, I played there with Lee. I played there with Rough Justice. I played there with Moroccan Soul. I think I played there with someone else. I can't remember. But anyhow, it was, it was a place that you played. It was on the circuit. People seemed to like it. They, played, they paid pretty well. The problem was, is the load-in was down a reasonably steep, long-service staircase that takes you down into this basement. Now, as you know yourself from band stuff, it's just huge speakers in huge, Mm. wooden, heavy things. And you're just pushing. (laughs) Oh, and then the bass player has a 1x15 cabinet and a 4x10 cabinet. And you're trying to get that stuff down. And, and and they had they had a service elevator, but to use the service elevator, it was you had to go through the kitchen. So you had to convince the kitchen staff that they'd let you in the kitchen. And then the, <laughs> which is one thing. So so you're walking through with stuff and there's people with chef's hats on and there's trays of food. And being carrying hot pots around. Yeah, and, and all like that stuff. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. So if they if you could if that if you could actually get in You'd pull this stuff in the service elevator and it wasn't that big anyway. And then I was going to say Europe's elevators are tiny. Yeah. And then you'd get that. You'd have to then go down to the downstairs, like waiting kitchen. I think downstairs was a kitchen and it was a break room and something else. It's been a while since I've been there. And you, and you used to, have to like <laughs> go through the catacombs of down there and then find where the where the, the service elevator ended up. And by the time you'd done that, you could have just complained for a while and bought all this stuff down this steep staircase. But as I said, the romance of this disused factory and paying homage to their roots and all this stuff is fine. But my practical brain of someone who gigs every weekend for like their entire life thinks the loading is just a mess. So my two experiences that even equate, they're not at now I'm seeing why I went into singing one. All I have was my microphone <laughs> <laughs> Two, if you're doing a stage show, your stuff started there at stage. You don't have to pack it up and bring it home most nights with you because <laughs> I've been in musicals. Now, I will say when I first when I did try my attempt at playing the drums for about a year, I was the drummer for my church band mm-hmm. and I had to break down my drum set and put it back together and break down my drum set and put it back that alone i didn't like and i've had to push speakers like 
with all your might just to get them in and out of like churches aren't designed for you to get things in and out of no not at all <laughs> there's no ramps or anything so it's like you're just pushing it down all the way to the main place that was not my favorite so now i know why i never ended up being the rock star that i thought i would because i'm too <laughs> lazy <laughs> it's a lot of work tim <laughs> it is i mean play, play i love playing in a band i've done it my whole life i love doing it I love everything about it. I like hanging out with the band. I like playing the music. I like the tactile experience of playing the guitar. I like going to different places you wouldn't normally go to and meeting people and being part of someone's birthday party and you have no idea who they are. Everything about that is appealing. What's not appealing is like moving house every single weekend. Yeah, I mean, you have to think about it. Every Like everything in the world is romanticized. Do you know what I mean? There's the parts of it that are so like, such a great so that dopamine makes up for all the times you're pushing heavy equipment oh absolutely and i mean my equipment now is so small i mean i've gone through i've had big marshall stacks and six unit racks and heads and combos and cabinets and what do i have now a small multi-effects processor and a di box and i'll plug it in the pa <laughs> there you go Fair it's enough. one little suitcase and it's done but even then my my rig is so small but sometimes i leave the house and I'm like, oh there's so much gear what's going on with this gear it's so big <laughs> <laughs> so the band Bowling from Soup from the early 2000s came to Blacksburg and our friend set it up with the with the concert. And if you're not familiar with them, they're a pop punk band from the early 2000s had, you know, states uh, had like um, 1985. Mm -hmm. The song 1985 is probably the most popular one. Um, so we went and saw them when they played in Blacksburg and it was a pretty small venue. It's a. Um, it's that little theater there that's right off of Main Street. Can't think of the name of it, but oh, it's just like a tiny little theater. Yeah, the Moss Performing Arts, the Virginia Tech place. It was small. It's even smaller than that. It's like it's usually used as like almost like a movie theater. And it was so weird that they came. And it was from some Virginia Tech club. It's that one that's like um, across the road. You've got like PKs and all the restaurants. And then there's like this one road that goes oh, off. The Lyric. Yeah, The Lyric. That should have came to mind. The lyric, literally. Anyway, <laughs> so we were at the lyric. We went and saw him. Well, one of the people from Virginia Tech to help put it on invited us to stay after and help them move their equipment. You know, we got little sign posters and stuff. Realizing now all they wanted was us to move their really heavy amps off stage for them. And they didn't have robies. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I've been playing, playing music a long time. I've never really had any thoughts that i would have fame and fortune from from playing guitar however i did think by this point so what i'm probably 33 years into playing gigs i figured i'd have someone else setting them setting up the gear and tearing it down that's the only thing i thought i would have at this point <laughs> that's really all i ask <laughs> all right so our next one is something that's really cool and i want to post this up in the chat when we or chat and facebook when we get out because this guy's voice is really good so he is an actual astronaut that's his day job. He's an astronaut. So you get where this is going. It's called Chris Hadfield Space Sec Section Session Session. That's the word I was trying to find. Sessions. Songs from a tin can. <laughs> yes. And you know what? I'm very familiar with Chris Hadfield and his um, the, 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 the lead song of that is his cover of space, David Bowie's Space Oddity. And he was uh, he's a Canadian astronaut. And he went up to the International Space Station. And I think he, he's been into space a few times. He's a shuttle pilot. 
And then I think when he went to the ISS, he went up on the Soyuz, the Russian um, rocket that takes you up to the ISS. And he had a tour, a tour of duty or whatever you call it up there of 150 days or something like that. And he, he when he was up there, he made a load of cool videos, like YouTube videos, mm -hmm. showing people this is what happens to liquid in space, and this is what happens when you stand on your head, and things like that. And he was very active on social media at the time. But he also plays guitar and he sings. So when everyone else was sleeping, he thought, well, you know, it's good to sleep and all, but when else am I going to come to space? So he started making pop songs in it when everyone else was asleep. His version of Space Oddity, I think, was like a like a viral video in like 2013 or something. I remember it coming around. Um, and he's actually got a really good singing voice, though, Tim. Yeah, it's good. I thought it was really good. Yeah, and he and it was his son Evan's idea to record Space Oddity, but he didn't like it because in the real song, the pilot, the spaceman dies at the end. So I thought about that too. <laughs> yeah, so the lyrics are different. They rewrote the lyrics to, to to fit it. But the cool thing is, is in the video, and he says, you know, I'm I'm just I'm floating in a most peculiar way, and there he is. He's just floating mm -hmm. in the International Space Station. Yeah, it was really cool. I remember when it was popular, like in the or like two thousand. I'd say like twenty thirteen is kind of the time frame. I think it was. I remember the video being handed off on different social medias and like Ebums World or whatever was popular then. Um, but I hadn't really paid much attention to it. And then when I went back and listened to it, I was like, "Well, that always is really cool that he's playing at the International Space Station and and in zero gravity." Which I don't know as a guitar player, do you think that would affect your ability to play? No, they, in fact, that he was asked that question several times, and apparently the strings resonate as normal in microgravity. Hmm. Well, there you go. So, but I mean, you have to hold on to it. That's something. <laughs> yeah, and he he um, he left the Le Rive, um Canadian guitar on the ISS after he left because he, for other, other astronauts to play if they wanted to. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. Well, that was a, that one that really surprised me because not only is it a novelty, I just thought he sounded really good. Yeah. As I said, I, I, I haven't seen the video for a while, so most definitely uh, post that up on the, uh, on the, the Facebook group. Then, do you know the other cool thing about Chris Hadfield is since he's come back from space, he often sits in and plays with the bare naked ladies. Huh? That's random. Yeah, they, they, it, was a, it was Canada Day so many years ago, and they had something, <laughs> some, some event celebrating Canada Day. And, of course, they have Canadian artists, Bare Naked Ladies being one of them. And then they, they did If I Had a Million Dollars with Chris Hadfield sitting in. Oh, so this whole, I have a whole um, website that's got all the songs and videos we're talking about. I'm just going to post the whole thing because mm -hmm. it shows each video where they're playing in different places, including the documentary of them going out of the sus, seeing everything so everybody can go back and watch these because they're well worth it. It was really cool. Um, so this one, I don't know this band, I'm 10 May, early 90s. It's called Killing Joke, Pandemonium. I'm familiar with the name of the band, but I'm not familiar with anything they've done. Okay, so this band Killing Joke did a Killing Joke did a um, song at the um, in the Gaza Strip near the Great Pyramid. Mm -hmm. um, so they said that that they were forced to concede and not finish their album due to fuzzy energy. When the batteries they crated in to the sacred space because you know it's a religious area, mm -hmm. um, you kept giving up power after ten minutes instead of ten hours like it was supposed to. Hmm. And so 
faced with the supernatural level of what they call power suckage, his words, not mine, <laughs> he did what any sensible rocker would do, stripped naked, conducted a ceremony involving sage, quartz, crystals, and holy water. <laughs> Psychic conditions improved to the point that you'd believe he saw his frontman, Jazz Coleman, levitating while cutting vocals. I, I think they may have been enjoying the fruits of maybe some uh, some things to relax with, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> by the sounds of that. I read this and I thought for a second, because this article, the guy is kind of, you know, tongue in cheek. I thought he was being cheeky, making a joke about him. And then I read it back. I was like, oh, no, that's literally what the guy did. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know anything about these guys. Um, the guy's name was Martin Glover. Um, so he's they're, they're like a post-punk kind of sound. But anyway, they, they recorded at the Great Pyramids. Supposedly, they were also levitating. Yeah, I mean, I, there's supposed to be weird energy created by pyramids. And then, the, you know, the, the pyramids of Giza, are, you know, being burial tombs for the ancient Egyptians, are supposed to have magical power. And, and people who've gone in and, and discovered various chambers and people have died unexpectedly, and it's a whole thing. It just dawned on me. I said Gaza, and it's actually Giza, so please don't come for me, Internet. Uh, Tim said it properly. Of course he did. The American over here can't speak. <laughs> 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 anyway, that one, the Great Pyramids. <laughs> I, do, I do think, Joe, we need to get bumper stickers made up with like the logo of the podcast <laughs> that says, don't come for me, Internet. Come for me, Internet. Gosh, words are hard sometimes for me. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, well, you said that. I was like, yep, that's an I. That's not an A. The Gaza Strip is something else, Joy. That was done. Okay. Anyway, now that I've proven that I don't know um, geography very well. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you were saying the bad energy or like weird energies from, from the pyramids. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, I'm very interested in all those stories of the, the Bermuda triangle or whatever. So maybe it's that triangle shape. Maybe something with that shape does it. Maybe, maybe it is. Or maybe, so maybe Barry Manilow has something to do with it. He went on about the Bermuda triangle. I think Barry Manilow is just a little, well, Barry Manilow. Are you not into Manilow? I love Barry Manilow, but he's a strange dude. Yeah, I mean, he's, he he. Um, I, I think the the uh, the spoils of his fame and fortune have allowed him to have a little bit of work, which is fair enough. If that was that, what makes uh, Barry happy? I'm not going to judge, but uh, he he has he has he has a very unique look about his face these days. It's fair to say. Uh yeah. But he also says weird things occasionally too. <laughs> I see some quotes for him. Um, but anyway, no, I like his music. I don't have it. I'm definitely a Manolo person. But like one time he just posted a thing on the, like one time I saw a quote where all he said was sneakers are my thing. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so like he just says weird stuff. Um, my hair was slicked down with the part before I was discovered the blow driver, blow dryer. Now I'm famous. That was something he posted on the internet at one time. Oh. It just such weird things. Yeah, but have you ever, but do you see what I put on Twitter occasionally? 
I, I, Occasionally. I, I, make, I make random proclamations. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe me and Barry, maybe me and Barry need to speak. Well, the thing about it is, is every once in a while, Facebook memories shows me stuff that I said 10 years ago, and I literally cringe when I see it. So who am I to judge? <laughs> I'll be like, oh, God, why would I say that? And it's always just like, and you know, it's old because it'll be like, Joy is doing something, you know, back whenever you used to have is in your status. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Next to the next one. <laughs> don't go find me on the internet and just see my old statuses, please. If people, please don't do that. Okay. Um, this one is called, it's Michelle shocked. Don't know who that is. Um, the Texas campfire tapes and it's from 1986. Um, so basically it says what you think. Yeah. Campfire. Um, but it says Ann Lomax have been capturing field recordings for decades. So Campfire hardly ranks up among the weirdest places to make an album. But the British producer Pete Lawrence captured the unknown singer songwriter Michelle Shock singing on the ultimate low file mobile recording unit, a Sony Sock Sony. Sony Sockman, really joy. <laughs> Sony Walkman. <laughs> Sony Sockman. I'm gonna start using that. He released he released the album on his cooking bottle label in 1987, propelling her to press Darling with a major label contract. So he found this. He was she was singing. So he captured her, this unknown singer, singing on a recording unit, a, a Walkman. And then she he re released the album on his own label and basically propelled her into being like famous. And she just happened to be singing on a Walkman near, or she happened to be singing near a fire and he started recording on the Walkman. And that's how she became famous. Oh, wow. I mean, how does that happen? I'm, I'm familiar with Michelle Shock. She, she does that song called Anchorage. Are you familiar with the song Anchorage? Not off the top of my head, but I feel like it's one of those songs. If I heard it, I'd probably be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I know what that yeah, is." Yeah, so so I mean that that's like a big hit. But I mean, she's had lots of albums out. She's a sing singer, songwriter type, social justice, all that kind of business. And my dear friend Mark Chudley, who mm -hmm. is the first person I ever came to the United States with, but that's a story that we will tell another time. He's a okay. big fan of Michelle Shocked. He loves Michelle Shocked. And he has seen Michelle Shocked in London and he's seen Michelle Shocked in New York. And he's he's based trips around going to see Michelle Shocked. That's interesting. And he took he invited a bunch of friends. I, I, I think I didn't quite know him as well at this point, but um, he invited a bunch of friends to see Michelle Shocked in London. And the, the friends who he, who he went with were on the fence whether to go. He said, no, no, you have to go. This is going to be the great show, best show, best show. So he goes along. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Michelle Schock does in her concert, she'll often pull someone up out of the crowd who plays guitar to sit in with the band. Now, that would be so fun. Yeah. Now, he is a great guitar player. Mark Chudley is a fabulous guitar player. And everybody with him knew how much it would mean. So she says, oh, anyone out there who can play a little bit of guitar? And everyone's like, him, Mark Chudley, him, 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 him. now. You have to pick him. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So, he, so I'm guessing she picked him. Yeah, so she picked him and then he, he jammed. I think it was like Shepherd's Bush Empire or some, Hammersmith. I think it was Hammersmith. Huh. But it was, it, was a, it was a reasonably sized venue in London. But anyhow, that, that is my rock and roll connection to uh, Michelle Shocked. Well, to be honest, I just looked at pictures of her and I've seen her before. So I'm guessing if I heard a song, it would probably be familiar. I just wasn't. And the interesting thing about her with this um, version 
Um, they said that it wasn't technically like she didn't give him permission to release it, but she let it go. Um, but she did release her own version, pitch corrected <laughs> in the early 2000s. Um, so there you go. That's how her star was born. There you go. Sony Walkman in the forest. There we are. But I will say that the early recording Walkmans were actually very good quality. Well, not a sockman, a walkman. A sockman, <laughs> <laughs> as I tried to say earlier. <laughs> now, now, would the uh, the case that goes over your sockman would that be a shoeman? <laughs> oh God! We'll be all night, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to tip your waitress and bartender. <laughs> all right. So this song I'm very familiar with, or this I guess album, this song, it's running on empty, but it literally the song running on empty uh, back to Brown. So apparently it says field recordings aren't always, you know, that uh, there's multiple albums that have been recorded out in the field, you know, hotel rooms, resourceful spaces, buses, whatever you have to do. Um, but for this album, he, so he was, so, bleh, so he was running on empty remains one of the greatest rock courses, a tour album. So it was recorded in multiple places. It was recorded in a hotel room, um, on a bus um, and in just wherever he could stop and go on his little tr spiritual trip. So he literally stopped in multiple locations, buses, tours, um, spices, um, hotel rooms, everything. Instead of doing it in front of a live audience, he would just stop wherever he felt spiritually, which is kind of funny because the song's running on empty. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where he recorded it at. Yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with Jackson Brown. I knew the lead track running on empty, but I wasn't really familiar with the album. And thanks to a thrifting adventure, I bought the album running on empty. And it was only when I was reading the liner notes. It's exactly as you said, it's recorded in all different places. And there's a couple of tracks on the album that are recorded on the bus. And you can actually hear the whir of the engine of the bus in the background. Yeah, when I was listening to um, like the version that they put on YouTube where you could hear the different pieces, you could hear that it wasn't in like obviously a studio. Suddenly it was coming from many different places. So what they were saying is, well, there's been plenty of people who've recorded in different spots. He literally wrote around and recorded in multiple spots on like a spiritual tour. Hmm. Well, there we go. Well, it's, it's actually a pretty good album. Well, I know that song. I'm not super familiar. I mean, I'm definitely a greatest hits kind of person for Jackson Brown, but I do like that sound. So maybe I'll have to go find it. Yeah, find the, find the whole album of Running on Empty because it, it's highly recommended. There we go. Um, and then this one was completely random. It's called Billy Bragg and Joe Henry Shine a Light Field Recordings from the Great American Railroad. Probably sounds exactly like what you're thinking. They spent five days traveling from Chicago to L.A. via a rail um, to do their whole project. So along the way, they recorded standards by um, old school train lovers. Like it's like, so it's like they took like kind of like this old school sound. They called them train lovers. I don't know exactly what that means, but I guess maybe songs that sound like they should be on trains mm -hmm. of Woody Guthrie, Jimmy Rogers, all those type things. And they even performed on railway platforms, um, different things like that. And then that was the whole album. So they were on a train and when they would stop, they would come out and record. And sometimes they'd record on the train and it's all these different songs that they called train lover songs. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's their term, not mine. Huh. What are you, what's your thoughts on Billy Bragg? Are you familiar with Billy Bragg? Um, I've heard of him, but I'm not super familiar. I think he's, He's not one that I went out of my way to listen to. How do you feel about him? I, I don't. I don't have a problem with his songs. I just don't get on with his voice. 
his his voice doesn't work for me. And there's a lot of people who are very passionate fans of Billy Bragg. And I mean, this is just me. But when I when I hear him sing, it just you know I mean, some some would some would be cruel and say he just can't sing. But he's he's like his speak singing it through his nose is the best way I can pronounce. Best way I can say so- it. The only thing I'm familiar with Billy Bragg is that Back to Basics album. Um, and there's like songs, I've heard of a song is like To Have and To Have Not and a few other songs like that. And it's okay. I mean, I, I, I'm i not going to speak on it because I'm not that familiar with it, but I understand what you're saying. Um, he's probably a better singer. Just, I mean, better songwriter. I guess he plays guitar most likely. I would assume so. There was a charity single in the 80s, I believe, for a, yeah. for a charity called Childline, which was a, a, a number you could call if you was in trouble as a kid. You know, and it was like a 911 for kids type thing. And it was a, it was a big, big thing. I'm sure it still exists, but it was a big thing. And they had a charity mm-hmm. single where one side was wet, 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 doing a little help from my friends. And the other side was Billy Bragg doing She's Leaving Home. And these were all Beatles covers, should I say? Yeah. And I think um, the lead single was actually the Billy Bragg side, but the, the radio only ever played the Wet, Wet, Wet song because the Billy Bragg song, as I said, it didn't sit well with a lot of people. But as I said, yeah. you know, people like what they like and, you know, people do... Um, do like it, but it's, it's not necessarily for me. Okay. And yeah, I mean, I'm not really an indie kind of person. Like indie folksy sound is not really my sound anyway. That's why I'm not going to be seeking it out necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's not really my thing, but yeah, I mean, his folks is okay. Yeah. But there you go. <laughs> All right. So we've got one, two, about two or three more we're going to talk about. So the next one is is called Cowboy Junkies. Have you ever heard of something called Cowboy Junkies? I do. I have an album downstairs by the Cowboy Junkies. Okay, so this is them, and I have heard of them before. Um, so it's called the Trinity Session. Don't know if you've heard of that. Okay. The word session is really hard for me today, which it shouldn't be considering what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I pronounce it differently every time. So what they did was they sent out a fake name. We've talked about artists who go by fake names. They call themselves the Timmon Family Singers. Okay. Um, and they rented out a church it's in Toronto. Uh, not wanting their real name to set off any bells for people to come, you know, run up to the church and be like, oh, my God, the Cowboy Junkies are here. Um, they said they spent most of their meager recording budget on the church and some additional uh, musicians. But they said they had a really hard time finding out where they were going. They were there all night. They kept moving the microphone around logistically. Nothing worked. It said it took them a really extremely long time to write this album because I don't know if it was the singer or one of the musicians who had a problem with the sound, but they re-recorded it multiple times, moving the microphone all over okay. <laughs> this big church in Toronto. And they said they had bought other musicians to come and those musicians were getting frustrated, but um, it did work out then because it was one of their biggest successes and also went platinum. Oh, well, there we are. I, I don't, the album I have for the Cowboy Junkies, I'm not sure which one it is. It is a double, but it's not the something sessions. It's, it's their whatever their most famous album is, but it's it's not that one. But oh, apparently, um, it was this one was very popular. 
Now, the only band I know of that I can think of that, uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with them, they're called the Decemberists. Um, they're a little bit more modern band. They did a different, they did a church in Portland that they did an album in, or maybe just a song. Um, they recorded it and recorded it live, and I think there was even an audience in front of them. Hmm. Uh, that's the only, I mean, churches tend to usually have pretty good acoustics, though. Yeah, it's kind that, of surprising. Yeah, that would be one of the instances where you want a room that's live because it has, mm-hmm. because like you say, the churches typically do have a good acoustics. And a friend of mine, Michael Pierce, who I who I played in bands with years ago in in England. He has a he has his own studio that's actually in a in a repurposed church, and I think I think it's called Chapel Chapel Hill Studios or Chapel something Studios. I can't remember, but that that is a studio that he runs as a commercial operation that's actually in a in a church that's no longer used as a church. Well, there we go. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I started out whenever I was in a band. It was in I used to, I sang and I played drums at a band that both were through the church circuit and everywhere. I used to like it because they did have really good sound. So I don't know what this church hall was like, or maybe they were going for a particular sound. I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't know. But anyway, there you go. So, and then this one is Paul Horn's Inside from 1968. Um, so he's a famous flutist. Um, he wasn't supposed to set up shop inside the Taj Mahal, but he did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so he did an entire album in the Taj Mahal. Now that is cool. And he was on that trip to meet. Yeah, he was on that trip to meet the Maharish. That that guy, the one that the Beatles always went to, the Marishka. The, the uh, thing, it's like M A H A R I S H I. The Maharaj is it Mahar Maharaja? I don't know what it's called. The gentleman that the Beatles went yeah, to what see. Yeah, see, he went to see him. <laughs> so the reason I said that is because he was, because, you know, they used to go visit him or whatever, where they were going through their spiritual thing. He was on a trip with the Beatles to meet that guy when he went and did this whole album in the Taj Mahal. So he made a gorilla recording in the Taj Mahal. Yep. Um, he said it naturally produced a 28 second delay. Um, and he said things got trippier when a guard began chanting along with Horn's improv. Oh, wow. So I guess I wouldn't think about that, but he said it, the whole chamber, because of the reverb, had a 28-second delay while he was performing. Wow. I'm, I'm going to have to check, check this out, I think. After the record, I'm going to have to see if I can find this just out of curiosity. So this was not his only, and oh God, they're going to come for me because I don't know how to say all these words. Um, Horn went on to record in a variety of weird places, sometimes with permission, sometimes without. He also did the Great Pyramid. Okay. Um, Something in Lithuania, K-Z-I-M-E-R-A-S, Cathedral, so Church of Lithuania, and the Temple of Heaven in Beijing. Well, there you go. I, I need to go and record some guitars like in Target or something. <laughs> That's the American version. <laughs> As your um, friends at the Freak Jam always remind me, we don't have old stuff here. <laughs> yeah, what, what we lack in castles, we make up for in vending machines. <laughs> we can always find a snack if needed. <laughs> exactly. But that, yeah, the the video of him recording is on this link, so you'll have to check it out, too, because it was really cool. But I guess I wouldn't have even thought about, like, the reverb being an issue, but I guess that makes sense. It's huge. Yeah, and also I think a building like the Taj Mahal was probably designed to have that sound for chanting and for worship, that you would want that big mm-hmm. reverb sound that would that would come down. 
But then when he said that the guards started chanting with him, I thought that was pretty cool too. I was like, oh wow. Yeah, that's, that's cool. It's not like the guard that I told us about last week who just crushed the guy's camera and walked off. No. <laughs> <laughs> not the same guy. If it was, he's having a better day. All right. <laughs> okay, so the last one. It's kind of interesting. It's called the modern lovers rock and roll with the modern lovers. And I asked Tim to listen to a song by this band before we recorded. And it was a song about a leprechaun. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I gave it a couple of listens before we we did the record and it was, yeah, that was, that was a very interesting track. I was curious to know what you thought about the song about a leprechaun. <laughs> I'm not sure I understood what the topic was, but that's this band. Uh, but I just wanted to get him. So basically, so it's a little unclear exactly what happened, but this guy was very particular. They were in the recording studio. He didn't like the way it sounded. So he asked them all to move to the boys' bathroom. Mm-hmm. There's a reason I said boys' bathroom, guys' bathroom, whatever you call it. Uh, they had to run all the cables down the hall from the control room to the bathroom. Okay. But then when he got there, he said that the sound was still off. Because of the male urinals. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> so then he made everybody rerun everything in the female bathroom. And he still didn't like it. <laughs> so they went back to the guy bathroom. <laughs> and the poor people that were at the studio had to keep rerunning all the wiring for them from the control room. <laughs> and was that what that track that you got me to listen to? Was that one that was recorded in the bathroom? <laughs> Well, that was what that song's from the album. This album. No. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't, it, wouldn't you just go into one of the rooms and click your fingers, and you know, a, a, an experienced producer or engineer would go, "Yeah, this room's pretty, pretty reverb. Are you sure you want to be in here?" I, he okay. So basically, the recording. So, oh, so guitarist, the guitarist's name is Leroy Radcliffe. He said it finally set the record straight. The sound in the recording studio. Ups- set him so bad that he felt that it was basically they had to work with him because their recording studio sound was so bad. So that's that's how he got his way. I don't know how that works. Don't know much about this recording studio, but it says it's CBS Studios. I'd imagine that's a pretty large mainstream studio. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that's a full-on recording facility that they're meddling about running XLR cables into the lavatory. You know, one of those sound dudes went home that day and was like, oh, I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah, sure, because you, you, you've got a room and it's all treated and it's ready to go. And then you set your stuff up and they've got the, the board there. And, and then all these people went, no, man, the vibe in the lavatory is much better. And he's like, oh, come on. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and he's like, but my favorite part is that he had them rerun it because he didn't like the boys' bathroom. Went to the girls' bathroom. They it back up in the male bathroom. That would be the one that would probably really sit me over the edge if I was one of those people. Exactly. It's like, yeah, I, I, I will tolerate your, your nonsense the one time, but, but doing it th- th- three separate things. Now, you, you've had that. Just, just come back to the room where everyone else records. I know. I'm like, CBS Studios in San Francisco, I have to imagine there's some standards set up in a studio of that nature. Sure. Just a thought. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not the only album that I know of that was recorded in a bathroom. Okay. Weird Al Yankovic's My Bologna. <laughs> well, that, well, that one, well, the thing is, Weird Al gets a free, a, a free pass because he can do stuff like that. 
And I also don't think that he had a recording studio, but he did it himself. It says he recorded my Bologna um, entirely in California's Polytech campus men's room. So he probably did it himself. I don't think that he had a bunch of people with him carrying his stuff around. Exactly. It, it doesn't. It does make me want to. Um, I don't know. Stand in the bath or something next time I record some music for someone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've said before, and you, me, and you talked about this. Plenty of artists have said bathrooms generally just like churches are wide open, tend to have really good reflective sounds. So it's not uncommon for people to record stuff or perform or do things in the bathroom. No, and then really Sam, during the lockdown, Sammy Hagar and his band The Circle, they were doing lockdown songs. And one of the songs they did was Won't Get Fooled Again, a cover of the, uh, the Who song. And of course, mm-hmm. they didn't meet. All the parts were done separately. And literally, Sammy Hagar is in his very fancy looking shower with AirPods in, with it pointing his phone at his face, singing the lyric in his bathroom. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of people specifically telling you if you're going to record something like you're doing vocals or maybe you're a sound artist or something or like, you know, like do vocals for a TV show. A lot of times they'll go in the bathroom and record it when they send it in for auditions because it sounds better. Yeah, I I could see that. Well, that's the last thing I have on my list. I think we went full circle on that. And I really want you guys to think hard about where Tim should record his next album at. I need like, I I'm leaning toward dinosaur union shoulders, but if you guys have something <laughs> better, let us know. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Send, send in, <laughs> send in your, uh, your requests. And also I will say before we go, if any other artists out there want us to do a quick review of your album or a quick review of your song, we're happy to develop this. So um, you can get in touch on the Facebook page or in fact, you can even email, email me direct if you want. It's Tim at CaesarMail.com, C-A-E-S-A-R-M-A-I-L.com, Tim at CaesarMail.com. Send over your stuff and Joy and I will be delighted to do a quick review at the top of the show. All right. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye. Too bad we got one, now that's it, too bad.